Welcome to Duality Check, the podcast where two brothers embark on a thrilling journey through the realms of scientific inquiry, the enigmatic mysteries of the past, and the uncharted territories of spirituality. Join us as we explore the wonders of our world and beyond while we embrace the roles of curious bystanders rather than experts. Together, we'll unravel the intricate tapestry of existence, blending the dichotomies of knowledge and wonder. Get ready to question, ponder, and delve into the dualities that shape our understanding of the universe on Duality Check. I'm Drew. And I'm Dean. And today's topic for the first episode of the show is uh, we're going to be talking about science and we're going to talk about where are its limits, where are its blind spots, like where are the areas that science is kind of hung up. I think it should be a fun episode today. Yeah. Maybe we uh, talk about a little bit of like what we want to accomplish with um, this podcast too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the name is Duality Check, which uh, I like it because the word duality to me means a lot of different things like – it can mean well I mean, it's used in like science today is like duality dualism is this idea that um there is a uh, a sort of materialist physical system that is our body and brain but right. there's this kind of special something of like spirit or the hard problem of consciousness, consciousness that we have a hard time explaining and a lot of scientists and philosophers are stuck with this uh, dualist view when a lot of other scientists want to reduce it all to materialism. Yeah. Um, that's one use of the word duality. But the other um, is I like the idea of thinking of duality as this, uh, you know, different ways of approaching learning about the world. You know, you have the scientific method, but you also have like the spiritual and yeah. direct experience method. Yeah, the more experiential mm-hmm. view of uh, having experienced the things, therefore it gives you a, a different view of the thing other than just running tests. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then another read on the word duality is yeah. duo or two. Because there's two yeah. of us. There's We're two brothers. Of us. Yeah. Two brothers having a podcast. That's right. We're going to be uh, talking about a lot of science and... Um, Mysteries and um, yeah, our goal is to 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 explore all these weird and wonderful ideas. We want to cover scientific topics. We want to cover that type of stuff, but we also want to cover the mysteries. We want to talk about pyramids and UFOs and ancient use of of, uh, 
Psychedelics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Chakras, so. dragons. <laughs> we're going to talk science and we're going to talk woo-woo. Yep. And we're going to mend them, uh, kind of give our own take on uh, what that means for our lives, right? Like what it means for just the average human being and uh, how science and the spiritual aspects of life kind of give us all our templates that we go by every day. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like we all have experiences of both. Right. Right. In some way or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We all experience science when we use our cell phones all day long, but a lot of us have, you know, these weird mystical experiences, dreams, and um, Mm -hmm. you think about or talk about someone and all of a sudden they call you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just it's gonna be interesting and um today's topic is science we're gonna start off there yeah yeah so i i just got a few topics written down here that i want to explore okay. um it's a lot of the stuff that uh is at like the bleeding edge of science um but yeah, stuff most- that science has really been struggling with and i want to kind of explore what science kind of thinks the state of it is but uh okay. Also, some other weird random theories that may account for some of these things, too. Let's go. have some fun. And I'm probably just going to be commenting on a lot of things he talked about. (laughs) Well, also, I (laughs) want to lay out uh, that we are not experts. No, no, no. Neither of us have PhDs or college degrees. We're we're very much uh, bystanders and all this stuff. We're, We're... your average internet folk like all you out there, we just like to learn. We like to talk about stuff. We like to throw ideas around. So yeah, please. We've, uh, we've all experienced one thing or another that, you know, makes us have an in- inspiration to, to dive into these topics. So right, that's right. where we come from a little bit. Is just, just don't take us as some sort of gurus or anything. And that'll obviously, yeah, yeah. that'll, that'll be obvious enough as we're discussing. Yeah. Things. Like these It'll guys don't seem to know what they're talking about. Well, you're right. We <laughs> you're, don't. You're right. <laughs> um, so what do you got? All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is this, um, dark matter and dark energy, which I find yeah. incredibly fascinating. So when you look into like, um, astronomy, cosmology and the, the group of scientists who are trying to explain like, where did everything come from? Where did everything start? How do we explain the universe we see around us? Um, there's these two things that are, you know, they're talked about so often that a lot of people may misunderstand and think that science has a much better idea about what these things are or some sort of evidence that they are what science thinks they are when in fact there's a whole heck of a lot we don't know. And it's just theories at this point. It's funny that you say when in fact, because fact and uh, theory are completely different things. Right. Right. Yeah. So like a fact would be like, you can take a measurement, you can drop an apple and measure its starting point and its ending point and the bounces it does. And, write all this down as like a fact of what happened when you did this experiment. Right. But the theory is how do you explain that behavior and what causes it to do that? Um, and so a lot of our theories have, you know, a theory is something with some sort of evidence or the, the formal version of the word theory, not in the colloquial use, use like in the scientific use. Yeah. The word theory is like, it's like a, an idea that has evidence to 
back up somewhat. So it's kind of a upgraded from like a hypothesis or mm-hmm. just an idea or a speculation to something a little more formalized. And yeah, it's basically something that has evidence to conf- to start to understand it, but there's still aspects of it right. that cannot be. Whereas like a law is even higher grade than like a theory, right? So like a, a law would be something like, you know, the laws of motion that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Like right. some things are so well, well understood, quote unquote, um, because we know that they happen every single time. There's no exceptions, but just cause we know that something happens every t- single time and we have the math to describe how it happens and how it, you can predict how it will happen. You don't necessarily always know the why. Right. There's always the why, but, Anyway, so let's talk about dark matter first. Okay. Uh, so dark matter came about as a theory when we're pointing our telescopes out in space and we see these galaxies, these crazy spiral galaxies, all these different shapes that are trying to classify them. Um, and we get um, Einstein's theory of gravity, which really helps us to refine what gravity is and whatnot. Um, but there's a problem when we're looking at certain galaxies. So essentially what happens is you can scientists have these like ways of like looking at a galaxy and sort of estimating how much mass is in there by like essentially how bright the galaxy is, is my understanding. Okay. Um, and so you, you can say, okay, here's this galaxy. There's, X amount of stars in it. There's this much mass total in that galaxy. Um, and so then they try and draw up the math to explain all of its movement. Um, and they notice the rotation. Um, the inner stars rotate according to our understood laws of gravity. Mm-hmm. There's nothing super mysterious about the inner stars and their speed of rotation. So when you get further out to the, to the end of the spiral? Yeah, so you get out to the edge of the galaxy and the stars are there out there, according to our theory of gravity, are they're moving too fast. There's not enough gravity in what we can see and observe about that galaxy that explains how fast these outer stars are moving. And so they need hmm. more mass. They need something to explain why there's more gravity causing those stars to rotate faster. So, and they haven't come up with other, I mean, well, so the, the term dark matter, like, yeah, the term dark matter is like, essentially the first theory is like, Oh, well there's probably just stuff out there. We can't see yet. Yeah. Um, It's matter, but it's dark because we know matter is what, you know, matter and, gravity are interlinked. The more massive an object is, the more gravity it has. Um, so they just figure there's some sort of matter there that we just, our telescopes it's not are detectable advanced by enough light. to detect. Right. Because matter, we know, is detectable by light. Like light bouncing off of it. Right. But light is, it's got like a spectrum, right? So all the way, you got like, you got the visible light spectrum, but below that you have infrared. Yeah. Um, and down and then above you also have, you know, ultraviolet and x-rays and right, all these right. things above. So Which we have different telescopes that can look at those different, right, right. the different frequencies, right? So they'll look at a galaxy with all of that 
And still with all of that, they don't not come up it. with enough matter to explain these stars on the edge. Got it. So the the one theory I know about is called WIMPs or weakly interacting massive particles. It's a type of particle that doesn't interact with other matter like electromagnetically. Um, so, and it doesn't like give That's off light, weak. reflect light or anything like that. But it does have gravity. It interacts gravitationally. With the light? With other matter in the galaxy. Oh, gotcha. So it's attracting and... Right. And they sort of think there's like these halos of dark matter around galaxies, I've heard it explained as. Like, so that means like on a plane of matter, it would be like a ring, like a thin, like a ring. How is that? I, yeah, yeah. Again, we're not experts. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but it's interesting because when they add up all the, when you, you know, look at, look at all the light, all the galaxies, they add up all this matter and then they add up all this, what, what we need as quote unquote dark matter to explain how everything moves. And it turns out there's way more dark, dark matter, matter than there is matter, like by a long shot. So basically dark matter fills in all of empty space in a uh, sense. yeah i don't know if they would say it that way but i mean well because empty space right would would the vacuum of space be more it's more space than what matter takes up in the expanse of the universe empty space well space like yeah the space yeah between well I mean, matter. there's more space than there is matter right, right. like yeah the emptiness between our star and the next star is like fast. Mm -hmm. Um, My thought was that just offhand is that because we know about, well, we don't know about, but we, we are starting to understand quantum, quantum, uh, quantum particles and the quantum realm and all this. And is it possible? Maybe it's possible that, the quant like the space itself has mass. It's just maybe it has more mass. Maybe it actually attracts more than we initially thought. Maybe. Mm. So you're saying in the quantum realm, just the vacuum of space itself is somehow attracting stuff. Yeah, like it's almost it's it's like a it's like a viscous thing but it's on a, a totally different level. Oh, are you talking about the theory that I was talking about before with the uh like that Einstein's yeah, intuition? Yeah, Einstein's intuition thing. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna do a whole episode on that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like in short, it's basically this idea that like so all right. Uh in short. In short <laughs> in short basically is like what if space itself is some sort of like fluid or material because we know from quantum physics that you can't divide. There's a, there's a minimum amount of space. It's called a Planck length. And below that, what we mean by the word space doesn't exactly even mean the same. Like, you know, we don't even know that there's anything less than that. Like that's the minimum. Right. Is it infinitely like divisible? Right, so you always see these like uh, when they're talking about like, relativity and stuff. We've all seen yeah. the the graphic of like the you sheet. take 
take a yeah you take like a flexible sheet and yeah. you throw a bowling ball elastic on there. sheet and then you yeah you put something massive in there and then you take like a smaller ball and you kind of like Roll flick it, it across yeah. and it will quote unquote orbit the bowling right, ball right. in the middle because it deforms it the, the sheet um which is all f- fine except for the fact that like that is a 2d demonstration of what is supposed to be a 3d effect and i've never until right. this like quote unquote einstein's intuition theory um never actually saw an explanation for how does space deform in three dimensions yeah what would that even look like because obviously we're looking like in that demonstration we're looking at a flat thing in a three-dimensional world so it's 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 intuitive like you can grasp the basic idea of it but mm-hmm. it doesn't ex- it doesn't explain what it would what the what it would materialize in a three-dimensional space. Right. So, like, how do you visualize how space deforms, how 3D space deforms? Like, because the sheet is only a 2D example. So, the idea is, like... Heard my head already. (laughs) Yeah. If space is, like, imagine space as, like, little tiny, like, particles of space. Yeah. And that, what if you visualized it instead of deforming the way like a trampoline does, you visualize it like, like particles and how particles can be more dense and less dense. And you can have like a gradient, a pressure gradient, like, like our atmosphere. Right. Right. So like way up near space, our atmosphere is incredibly thin. And as mm-hmm. you go down the gravity of all the air molecules pushing down on the other air molecules right. makes it more and more dense as you come down to the surface. So and then the same thing with, like, water. Like, the deeper you go, the higher more pressure is. It's, it's the particles themselves are more compacted. Because so, of pressure itself, because of the weight of the thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you could <clears throat> essentially, that could be a tool for visualizing how space deforms. If space yeah, is these little fundamental space specs, what if the deformation is just those specks closer together. Yeah. Which would explain it. It It would, it would essentially work the same way relativity does. Like, because around the sun you would have more space and as you go out in the solar system, you would have less and less of it. Mm -hmm. And so then that would affect what a straight line is. If there's more space on one side of you than the other side of you going straight is naturally going to be a curve. Rather right. than a straight line, so it looks like you're going in a in a in an elliptical slash orbit, but in reality, that thing, that particle, that you know, mass is going in a straight line. It's as going far in a straight line through curved space. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. a three dimensional thing. So, in theory, like if something else massive was to just appear it would change it in a sense of like it's the more massive thing that came into it would start to change the trajectory of it. Right. If you were to magically, if you're going to start thinking, if you're going to stop thinking about it as a two dimensional thing and more mm -hmm. of a three dimensional thing where it could be affected at any axis essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to just like pop a new mass into existence, that would, uh, that would take the space around it and make it more dense around that object so that that object would start affecting other objects. And mm. it's interesting if you think about it this way too, with like the uh, uh, particles of space being more and less dense. Um, 
it explains gravitational waves as well, because you would essentially just be able to use the same sort of theory as pressure waves so that when two things orbit each other, they would be making ripples through it the same way. Right. Like if you drop a rock in a pond, it makes ripples through. Ooh. So that would, so would the ripples, yeah, I guess the ripples would move through the fabric, which would be this, this, if you're visualizing it the way we were talking about, like the, these particles of space, mm-hmm. that's the fabric. Right. Essentially. Yeah. But the ripples aren't, aren't confined to a two dimensional thing either. So they're right. rippling they would, out they would radiate three dimensionally. Three dimensionally. Right. Um, so yeah, that's dark matter and then our tangent, but the other yeah. side of that is dark energy uh-huh. and dark energy is super interesting. So the idea and how we came with this idea of dark energy is like when we point our telescope out at all these stars in every different direction, um, there's this phenomenon, uh, called redshift. So, yeah. um, you can do this in a lab. Like if you look at just like say oxygen gas, and you shine a light through it and you record the light that has traveled through the oxygen, the oxygen will absorb and sometimes different particles absorb, different particles emit, but it will affect the frequency of the light that you pushed through it and absorb some of those frequencies and re-emit in other places. And so there's like a specific signature of every different element element and chemical and whatnot. So that Mm. you can actually look out at a star really far away and notice, oh, that's the signature of oxygen there. But it's it's not where it's supposed to be. It's shifted (laughs) down towards the infrared. So that's how they that's how they figure out the the, distance, the distance, but also the the composition. Of right. the objects themselves, right? Well, partially. Well, yeah, you can use the the spectroscopy to figure out the composition, but you can use it to figure out because you, since you know the signature lines of, say, oxygen, you can tell that it's off a certain distance from where it's supposed to be, and so that has red shifted. It's kind of like the Doppler effect. So, like, mm-hmm. if when a car drives by you, as it's driving up to you, it's moving in your direction so it's sort of compressing those sound waves yeah and so it's it pushes the sound of that car up in the spectrum so it'll sound higher frequency and then as it goes away from you it's leaving as it's putting those sounds out to you longer so it's making those waves longer so it'll go lower pitch so that's why you get the as something drives by so it's essentially that but for light it's like the observer effect of quantum physics, but for sound almost. Hmm. Because you have, there has to be an observer for it to be shorter or longer, right? Depends on where you are observing it, that where it sounds or how it sounds or looks. I don't know what you mean by that exactly. I mean, just that like, so like the observer effect of quantum physics is how like, you know, we don't have to get into it fully here, but at this time, but um, like, the fact that there has to be an observer or a, or an instrument picking up those waves at a certain point for it to be detected as a certain length. Are you make are you saying like essentially like it did a tree make a sound in the forest when kind it of, fell? Yeah. No yeah. One was there to- in a sense, yeah. I think so. 
like, do those things even matter or have the same, like, is the fact that you're, you're observing it, changing it at all? Mm. Well, I don't that's just a thought above just a my thought. pay grade for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Just a my thought. pay grade of zero. <laughs> uh, um, but okay. So, so dark energy. Yeah. Right. We're looking at these stars. We can tell the signatures in there of the different elements. We can see how far they've shifted. Okay. And then you look all around you. And everything is actually red shifted. If you look one direction, say, say you're looking straight north, uh, all the stars there are red shifted. And then you look straight south and all the stars there, stars there are red shifted. And then you look east and west and all the stars in those directions are red shifted too. No matter what direction you look, everything mm-hmm. is red shifted. So there's something... Yeah, but like, so like with sound, you would expect like as the thing's approaching you, there's the, there's the quote unquote purple shift where it gets higher frequency. Right. And then as it's leaving, there's the red shift as it gets lower frequency. I see. But every direction we look, everything is red shifted. Nothing is purple shifted at all. So it's as if everything is going the same direction. It's as if everything is expanding. From... Everything is getting farther apart from each other. And that's why no matter what direction we look, it's all moving away from us. Hence redshift. Gotcha. Okay. And so they use that to like determine how far away um, a galaxy is because they know how redshifted it is. There's a spectrum of redshifting. Essentially the explanation is that as that light is traveling to us, the universe itself is expanding and because of its expansion, it's ever so slightly the wave is elongating, elongating those waves as okay. they travel. Getting it. And a longer wavelength is a lower frequency, hence redshift. Okay. So this that's is like the discovery of the expansion of the universe. But again, they don't have the source. Well, what they don't know is. Ro- What's Where the, the heck is all the energy coming from that is causing this expansion? Right. You know, we have basic physics telling us that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Like you have to have some sort of energy input. If I have a ball on the table and I want it to roll, I have to push it to make it roll. That I'm inputting energy in order to cause an effect. Is this when the Big Bang Theory came out? Is around the time that they yeah, started so noticing these things? Essentially discovering that everything's expanding, which if you run that back in time, run that back in time, turn the clock back. Yeah. If everything's expanding and you turn it back, well, everything must have been contracted at some point. Mm-hmm. And if you do the math, then at some point in the past, everything would have been contracted to the point of the plank. A single singularity, hence like the big bang. And then something caused it to go boom in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But what we don't know is what? what the heck is this source of energy that's continually causing things to accelerate? Yeah, and don't they think it's expanding faster? Yeah, so now the expansion, it, it's not only expanding, which is weird, but it's accelerating in its right. expansion. It's, it's not losing energy. 
It's gaining, gaining. Whatever is putting energy in to cause things to spread apart is putting more and more energy over time. But like, where is this all, like, where is all this energy? And it's so much energy that when you combine dark matter and dark energy, and then you take a look at uh, actual physical matter and physical energy that we can measure. Yeah. And you add up all the physical matter, physical energy that we can measure. And then you take that against dark matter and dark energy. Minuscule amount. The percentage of the universe that is dark matter and dark energy is 96%. Holy shit. So according to like the most advanced science, we only have any sort of physical laws or understanding for 4% 4 of the universe. universe. That'll make you feel tiny, huh? Yeah. Wow. Wow. But it'll also, if you sit and ponder on that, like make you realize that science is a lot further away from explaining everything that we think they think they are. Well, yeah, then it gives more, it gives a little bit more credence to the non-physical reality, like non-physical things that might happen in our universe, right? Yeah, like and if how we much are can a ball we actually know space, about the universe if yeah. all of our theories only explain 4% of it? Yeah, and if we're just a ball in a, in a solar system, in a galaxy that's moving through space, who knows what energies... faster and faster. Yeah, and who knows what energies and what kind of anything we might encounter. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea. Like like we were talking, like we talked about before, is like, you know, going back to... Like science not being able to uh, prove God or the creation or, mm-hmm. right? Like spirituality and, or spiritually, we don't know where we came from. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, depends what type of scientist you talk to, right? Cause like there's like plenty of super humble and open-minded scientists out there who admit how little we know yeah, and are excited about learning it all. Um, and then there's people that you'll hear like on these shows and whatnot, the Neil deGrasse Tyson's of the world who make it sound like we just, we have everything. We're just, we're just maybe, maybe a few decades, maybe a couple centuries at the most away from like finishing off our theories and being able to explain literally everything. Right. Which is like, it's such. It's so far from the truth. Yeah. So, Truth is a loose, loose term there, but... Dark matter and dark energy means science can only explain 4% of the universe right now. So... We know nothing. <laughs> right. We uh, know nothing. But related to that is gravity itself. That's mm-hmm. like the, another, the next one I want to go on is like... Unknown. What actually is it? What causes it? You always hear it colloquially. Coll- I always mess up that <laughs> Colloquially. Colloquially. Whatever. They know um, what we're trying to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you always hear it described as, uh, as a force. Uh-huh. The force of gravity pulling you. <clears throat> but according to Einstein, once he came around, he was like, well, no, it's not that gravity. There, gravity isn't even a force. It's just, it's just the byproduct of things moving through curved space time. 
Right. It's not it's not necessary to for it to be an energy or something like that. Like right. like having an active role. It's more the just the, yeah, so the, the fact the, that it's something is mm-hmm. moving near, near something else that's m- more dense, mm-hmm. more has more matter, more dense. Yeah, it's the better way to say it. So, well, that's under that other theory. But, um, yeah, so it used to be thought that there was an actual force pulling you, mm-hmm. right? There was something that was pulling that apple off of that tree and causing it to hit the ground. Right. There was um, – and then Einstein comes along and he's like, no – what's actually happening is, you know, the curved space time. So like when you see a planet orbiting the sun, it's actually taking a straight line through curved space. And what that looks like is a circle. Yeah. Which is weird. It's weird because we can't see it. <laughs> it's weird. Cause we can't see can't it. Can't explain it. But really. we also can't, ex- we, we know it's fundamentally linked to mass, but we don't know the mechanism for that. Like mm-hmm. how is it that something that has mass can distort the very fabric of space time? Yeah. Which like, what is it about energy being bound into a packet of mass? What is it that the causes sp- space time to curve? What is it about space time that allows that too? Right. Right. Like what is it about the space itself that, allows a, f- a function of that sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you wouldn't necessarily think like, Oh cool. Here's this space, empty room. Yeah. I put a ball in it and now the space in that empty room is a different shape. Right. That's counterintuitive. It's weird. Especially to what, you know, the limits of our <laughs> like cognitive abilities. Like mm-hmm. there might be something happening magically we you should know. do a whole show on gravity, honestly, because there's so many. Like we we can link it to that uh, yeah. Einstein's intuition idea. And I think that's a good idea. That uh, that other channel that I found. I think we have similar. it uh, on one of our notes here, but yeah, yeah. we should probably link it because that's a fascinating thing, and we could go off on multiple tangents with that. Yeah, and stories and whatever. And then the next one, uh, the next topic I got here is quantum physics itself. Yeah. More specifically, because there's actually quite a bit that we know about quantum physics. It's why we have cell phones and computers. It's our understanding of quantum physics that has given us all these modern advances. Um, Still limited understanding, though. Well, it's the interpretations of the stuff. So, like, we can describe... There's a difference between describing how something works and describing why or where it comes from. Right. You don't right. necessarily have to know the why to be able to use it. You don't it. have to under yeah, you don't have to understand that gravity is a distortion of space time in order to understand how to throw a ball and make it land yeah. somewhere, right? right? Like you can use gravity without understanding it in a similar way with our all of our study into quantum physics, we can use it. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean we know why and how and where it comes from. Yeah, but the specifically the topic elusive. in quantum physics that that is so um, argued about is this idea of wave particle duality. Mm -hmm. There it goes again. What's that? Duality. Oh, (laughs) duality. Didn't even know. (laughs) I didn't even know. Didn't even catch it. (laughs) So wave particle duality is this idea that um, a subatomic particle or like a, you know, like an electron or whatever we think it has like a packet, like a like it is a little dot, like a particle, 
but when we observe how it moves, it moves like a wave, right? Which is super weird. That's how can something be effect. both? Um, and so, so that has given rise to different interpretations of quantum dynamic or quantum physics. Yeah. So you've got uh, uh, things like uh, pilot wave theory, which is this idea that there's a sort of wave that the particle is riding on. And then you've got um, the many worlds interpretation, which is that um, that wave and all the places that the particle can be based on that wave. It actually is in all those places. It's just in different universes. Yeah. And it never, it doesn't, doesn't stay put until you observe it. Mm -hmm. The idea that, there are many dimensions or or universes all having the same, yeah. all having a different point where that thing is. Right. That particle is. That particle could have taken, you know, trillions of different paths and there is a universe for every one of those trillion paths that it yeah. could have taken. Yeah. And since everything is made of particles. Yeah. It, it it's leads a, into yeah. a lot of different theories, a lot of different, uh, the many world woo-woo. stuff's weird to me. I don't, I think it's kind of out there. Well, quantum, um, quantum physics is just an open door for people to just make all sorts of assumptions and, mm-hmm. and come up with their own theories. And yeah. like we used to watch the, what the bleep show and people can, take yeah. the quantum quantum physics and create whatever they want mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You can definitely go woo woo with the interpretations as well, which, you know, I think everything has its ideas to contribute to sure. this because we don't really have this all resolved, but what modern, what, what you hear, like when people talk about it, like the professors and whatnot, there's like this idea in quantum physics where like people were trying to figure out like, which is it? Is it a wave? Is it a particle? How can it be both? Um, and people were so like wrapped up arguing with each other about the nature of it that like there became this mantra to like shut up and calculate. Like we know the Uh, math, we can use the math to like do useful things. Yeah. And as long as you guys are sitting here philosophizing about, is it a wave or a particle? We're not getting anything done, so shut up and calculate. So they kind of moved on from trying to explain this stuff and was just like, all right, well, here's the math. We don't know what it means, but what can we do with this now? That kind of explains the 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 nature of physics and philosophy and how they kind of <laughs> right kind well, of kind of uh, had a l- little bit of a breakup. Yeah, in a well, sense. Well, because physics started out like the original name for what we now call physics back in like ancient Greece was natural philosophy. Mm, It was actually philosophers that were the ones who figured out how the world works and connected all the dots of this and that and whatnot. And it was the realm of natural philosophy that was the origins of our Western science. But... On the other part on quantum physics is this challenge. Like we have this quantum physics that explains the small. We've got this gravity that explains the very large, but they don't work well together. They're in fact, they're incompatible currently. And so the other area where science is struggling is 
trying to figure out how do you combine small and the large? How do you combine quantum physics? What's and the gravity? connection? And that's where you get all these other theories that you hear people talking about string theory mm, and yeah. um, what else? Uh, so many, I can't talk, think, even think about them right now. But. Yeah. What was the, what was the discovery? Like, what was the, um, what was it that we realized with the Higgs boson? So there's a, th okay. So, um, quantum physics, um, is trying to figure out what is, so at one point in time, someone first hypothesized this idea of an atom that yeah. like this matter, all this stuff we interact with is made of these little fundamental units called atoms. Um, and for a long time, we thought that was the fundamental unit. And then later on, it was discovered that that unit called the atom is actually made up of components. You got the protons and the neutrons and the electrons. Um, and then they thought those were the fundamental um, particles. Right. But then we finally discovered that, no, they're not. Protons and neutrons are actually made up of these things called quarks. And ah. so it's it's in there it's in the quest to like explain the, all the very small things. The like, what is the, the most fundamental unit? And they build these big particle accelerators to take, just bash them together, take, yeah, take all this matter and bash it together. So it breaks apart. And while it breaks apart, they can make measurements and use their theories to figure out what is it that's coming out of those explosions basically. So what the Higgs boson is when they discovered that there's even smaller shit. Yeah. So, so <laughs> with the particle accelerators, they started classifying all the stuff that was coming out of those experiments and they created something called the standard model. And the standard model is like, I forget what it is, like 16 or 20 something different types of particles. Mm. Quarks um, being one of them. Quarks. Yeah. There's different types of quarks though. There's like, uh, strange quirks and they just up named quirks them and down quirks. And right. Yeah. It almost is like, <sighs> and there's computer code there's, for explaining the movement of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right? it's like, these are the little tiny pieces that make up the protons and neutrons. And, uh, so like even electrons, like that's one of the fundamental particles. Like we've discovered that you can't break those apart. So that's fundamental. Okay. Um, and so an electron is negatively charged and there's like basically a positively charged version of it. I think it's called a positron. So it's like the standard cool, model in quantum physics is this like cataloging of all the different fundamental particles. And the Higgs boson was one that had been theorized for a long time. What um, does it, what is the state of it or what is the, it, well, it has quote unquote been confirmed or found. Okay. So, do they it, know what it, it confirmed does? part the of particle? these theories in in the standard model? I don't know what they all do. It's okay. complicated stuff. But Should we look it up? <laughs> I know that protons are supposed to be like I don't know if it's two up or two down, <clears throat> like two up quarks and a down quark or something like that. It might be the other way around. And then the neutron is like two down quarks and an up quark, which is weird to me because like how come two ups and a down make a proton but two downs and an up make something that's like neutral charge you would think it'd be opposite yeah 
Um, so I don't understand that, but I don't think I don't think they do interesting. <laughs> huh. oh, we're way past our break. All right, you want to take a break real quick and yeah, so we'll come back and uh, keep. We're going. gonna take a break, <laughs> refill our drinks. Yeah, um, crack a new beer. Yeah, we sit here at uh, Drew's house late at night recording while he's on baby dad duty. duty, waiting for the babies to cry and put yeah. calm them back. <laughs> shove milk down their throats so uh yeah we're gonna refresh our drinks make sure the babies are okay and we'll be right back enjoy the music Kids are asleep still. That's good. Good. They're uh, good. Good news. They're doing good. Yeah. If we ever uh, take a break, like really quick after getting into a new segment or randomly, (laughs) it's uh, it's gonna be because of the babes. Yeah. We'll call them. We'll call them baby breaks. (laughs) Yeah. Baby breaks. The oldest one snuggling his dogs. So did you want to talk about what we're sipping on here? Oh yeah. We are drinking Rogue Brewery. It's called Bat Squatch, the hazy IPA. It's pretty good. I don't know if I've had did maybe you brought this over one before. I don't know. I did bring another rogue. I'm not sure if it was this one. Fifty four IBU. We're kind of That's we're low. Kind of, yeah. We're into craft beers. Yeah. I mean yeah. we're not super snobby, but we we're into craft beers. It's got a fifty four IBU. And I don't know this one, but it's twelve. Is that a Sam? S A M twelve? Or SRM. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means. So, as you can tell, we're not super snobs. If you know what SRM means, uh, send us an email to uh, hosts at dualitycheck.net. It's got a cool little graphic on it, though. It's like a star, and it's kind of got like a gradient, so it tells you what what the notes are a little bit more. It's kind of got, you see that? It's kind of got a... It's telling us that it's got it's a tropical, citrusy. Like tropical, citrusy, piney, bitter, and malty. A little bit. It's not very malty. Yeah, it's low on the malt. It's really high on the tropical and it's very high, high on the citrus. I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you uh, define that, but mm. it's good. Yeah. How do you measure the, what are the units of tropical measure? This doesn't sound very scientific. This one's a lot less tropically. This leads us into our next topic. Beer (laughs) measurements are bullshit. It's all bullshit. (laughs) 
don't believe a thing you hear. You look, you see on a beer can. Yeah, they tell you how many IBUs. You, what, what, <laughs> I don't see any I's or B's or U's in this. It just looks like liquid to me. No, the one I care about is the uh, ALC, the alcohol content, six point seven percent by volume. Our dad, every time he, uh, <laughs> every time he like we give him a beer, his very first question. How what's, much, a, what's the percentage? What's the percentage on that one? Or if he gets a beer, he's like, ooh, this is really good. It's 9.7. Yeah. <laughs> That's his uh, first <laughs> first thing he wants to talk about it. Yeah, it's 7.0 or higher for him. Yeah. He wants yeah. to have one beer and feel good. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, I get it. His beer's bloating. Yeah. No, I get it. I love it, though, so I'm going to drink more than one. <laughs> All right, so All we right. talked about... Dark matter, dark energy, gravity. We we're yeah. kind of in quantum physics, but uh, you can never get out of quantum physics. Yeah, that's a rabbit hole. Um, let's, I guess, go on from there because the okay. next big topic that science is like really, oh shit, like struggling with today is consciousness itself. So yeah, you hear people throw around uh, this term, the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah, what does that even mean? Uh, yeah, so so I guess that's like a distinction between the quote-unquote easy problem, which doesn't sound very easy to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's easy, easy to somebody, I'm sure. The quote-unquote easy problem, the thing that we can just <laughs> apply us. our known scientific methods to is how does the brain work, right? So we can, we can hook up a brain to all these different sensors and fMRIs yeah. and all of these technologies to like – tell what areas of the brain are lighting up that are associated with with different states of mind, different experiences, senses. Yeah. So you can like have someone put their brain in this machine and then smell chocolate and see what part of the brain lights up. And then you can make them smell a beer in a different part of the brain, but in the same region, the olfactory region or whatever will light up. And so you can kind of like start making this map of like where in the brain are their associations with different things you can start to build a theory for how the brain works but no matter how much measurement you do no matter what fancy machines you hook up what you can't explain with science is the why is (laughs) well you can't explain what makes something what it is right so you can't explain the experience of looking at something red and experiencing it as red or that it's actually red either we can say that that object is reflecting a certain wavelength of light that hits our retina and the rods and cones and goes to the brain and it processes it. But you can't explain why we experience that as something that we call red. Right. Well, and you got to think of colorblind people too, right? Mm. They don't experience colors the same as everybody else. And it kind of makes me think like, are we even looking? Yeah, at but that's the same like on thing? the easy side of consciousness, right? So, like, sure. Yeah, color blindness. The we science can the, show that, like, they have a certain type of cones. And it's rods. cones that are yeah. for color, I believe. Yeah, um, you, they'll like they'll have a only two. There's so there's three types of cones. There's the red detective cones, the green and the blue detecting cones, right? Um, and for colorblind people, they'll only have two types or a, a lower number of the third type, so they can't experience the full 
color spectrum that the rest of us can. I guess what I was getting at, the, you know, he, that makes sense. Like you can explain that, but you can't explain like, so I guess it comes to more of like conditioning, right? So like you're, when you learn about colors, if your brain is like, let's say I'm looking at like as a child learning colors, I'm looking at a color blue, but somebody tells me that that color is red long enough I start associating blue with the color red. Right. So I th- am looking at something that to somebody else, if they were looking through my exact same eyes, would be blue. But I know it as red because I've been told that that color is red for so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, how do yeah, you, so you're like saying you can't like, explain it's, that. It's like that uh, philosophical conundrum is like, how do we know that what I call red and what you call red that we're actually experiencing the same, the same thing. color. Yeah. yeah. The same experience. What looks like happening. red to me might look like blue to you, but, but because we use the same term red. Yeah. Right. You call it that, even though you may experience it differently. Right. The ex- yeah, that's interesting. The experience is could be completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And how would you know that? And how would you know? Yeah. Well, it, it's similar. Like, so the hard problem is like, what, what, we can't explain what creates this idea of being inside and looking out through these windows into the world. Like you can't explain what it's like to exist. You can't explain what it's like to experience red, experience the smell of coffee, experience the taste of a beer. Like we can't explain the phenomenon of the experience. experience. Yeah. Yeah. We can explain mechanistically what inputs are going into the brain. We can explain mechanistically what parts of the brain are Are lighting lighting up and interacting. In fact, you can even um, look at the brain and based on like they're advanced enough now that you like based on what areas are lighting up, you can make predictions about what experience they may be having, but you, you can't explain the, the feeling, feeling of, of what's actually happening. Right. <clears throat> Cause each person is different. Everybody's had a different upbringing. Everybody's had a different, edu- like, mm-hmm. like the brain itself is programmable. Mm-hmm. We it's know like that self adapting system. Yeah. We know that intuitively because we are the thing attached to our, you know, we're the thing experiencing it through our, everything through our brains and all the inputs we have all go through the brain. Mm -hmm. So we understand that the brain, you know, has that quality, but we don't know that anybody else is experiencing things the same way. You can't know that you assume it based on the, the guidelines laid out in front of you by history, by teachers, by, you know, all of your mentors throughout life. But, that doesn't mean that they understand what you're going through, what you're right. feeling, what you're experiencing. Just because they can give you a, a, a rough idea of how you should what what you should be experiencing, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I find it interesting because, like, I think we are actually are getting to a point in history of science and technology that we're starting to approach. Uh, where technology is going to start helping us answer these questions. Like as we're creating things like AI, as we're creating things like these brain um, computer interfaces, 
there will, as people are trying to like actively work on the problem of like, is it possible to upload a brain into a computer? Mm -hmm. um, Neuralink, putting mm -hmm. a chip in your brain that mm -hmm. interfaces with it. And that maybe will, you'll get some kind of insight as to what's actually happening. Yeah. Like maybe it will start to help us scratch at that hard problem a little bit. Yeah. Well, and there's the other conundrum is like, uh, so like, you know, like the idea of like teleportation, like in theory, if you could come up with a technology that could like totally perfectly scan your body, tell store exactly what atoms are in what arrangement the at what given point yeah. in time and beam that across the universe to something that receives it and then constructs an exact duplicate, kind of like the, the Star Trek teleporters yeah. or whatever. What do they call them? I think they were transporters or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Whatever they, they had were. a different name for them because they didn't Nerdy have the technology. For it. They didn't have the technology to... <laughs> it's funny, just side note, it's funny watching those older sci-fis because they tried so hard to predict. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they got pretty. They got pretty close. Well, yeah, like I mean, but their terminology, they, the like, way Star they Trek wasn't it. super far off with like their idea of like no. a communicator, right? Like we all walk around with communicators now. Yeah, but they're way more advanced and powerful than they thought they would be. Yep, or had the ability to envision. And they called them different things and like all that kind of stuff. But no, but the reason I brought up the. Uh, <clears throat> The teleportation is because, like, once you're reassembled on, you know, another planet somewhere, um, is that you? I mean, intuitively, I would say no. And that, see, that gets to the heart of the matter of this argument, right? Is, like, if all you are is a collection of atoms arranged in a particular pattern as, like, some schools of thought in modern science seem to believe that you can break everything down to the material um, and that all we are is that is a complex collection of material. Mm -hmm. um, so according to that theory, if you did do that to transport you to another planet, like that would be you. It would just be a duplicate you, I guess. Well, it would almost be like, in this, like you would have to assume that if we got to that point, we wouldn't be burdened by deterioration of our atoms anymore, right? Because die slowly. Sure. Like, yeah. If you have the ability to just create yeah, something from scratch, because like if that. you have that ability, that means you're you're basically have the ability to stop what you are at that moment and mm -hmm. transport it back in time. Because if you're moving, but are you like killing Drew and then a new Drew? Drew two point is born. Yeah. Or is it like? the experience of like going to sleep at night where you that you have a disconnection in your consciousness and you wake up and uh, it resumes you know like yeah like you falling asleep is you your consciousness transporting to a drew you know a side drew a, 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 a different drew in a different dimension but same physically yeah i look the same or would what or is what would actually happen is like you, your experience when you step in that teleporter is, ah, I'm dead. I just got torn apart atom by atom. And then somewhere else, I would a new Drew is put into a place <laughs> because like the other theory is like that there's some sort of special intangible thing that makes you, you right? Like there's mm -hmm. a ghost in the machine that mm -hmm. there's, it's like the, the, the metaphor of like a video game, right? Like, 
you know, there's this avatar character in a virtual world running right. around shooting people, but in actual fact, it's a it's nerd. you. It's me, Drew, sitting yeah. behind my desk. <laughs> it's you, a nerd, sitting behind your desk, like playing, <laughs> putting inputs into a controller that then maps to that world, right? And when I die, I just get off and rage. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean that would. So like, if so it, the, if it's more of that second theory, yeah, right? Like, there's an ultimate then consciousness by disassembling you here and reassembling you over there. Then, if the second theory is true, then it would just be a lump of matter without a soul in it, or the soul. Maybe is the soul the can dark energy. Maybe the soul can detect that it got rebuilt somewhere else and we'll move over there. Yeah, but like then, I was gonna say, is the the soul, you know, in in my personal like, well, th- the way I'm kind of piecing my philosophy together is like, the soul is a eternal, um, f- force, I guess you would call it, but it almost would be something like a dark matter or a dark energy that can't be explained, but it reaches out to the ends of the. You know, if I was to be reassembled somewhere else and my matter, my this this configuration of atoms was to be somewhere else, then that soul is just it's like a it's like, you know, being able to control your fingers like, Mm -hmm. you know, you have full control of them, but you don't have to consciously think about it. Like it's so you're conscious, you're constantly, I guess, multiverse, like it'd be like a multiverse where there's almost like a singular uh, consciousness behind it, behind all of the different smaller consciousness. If you were to think about like a right, video but, game theory, but like if we have a teleporter here on Earth and one on Mars, and they beam oh, you right. to Mars instead of the multiverse, what happens to your soul? Does it move over there and like attach to the new body? Because then, what happens if like the teleporter on Earth, when we're sending you to Mars, it breaks in the middle, so it reads you perfectly and transmits you, but then it doesn't destroy the material here. So now there's two duplicate Ooh. copies of Drew. What happens? Oh, split personality disorder. Mm. Yeah, like because if there's a soul, like you would think, like, well, maybe the soul somehow splits, or maybe the soul would go to one and not the other, and the other one would just be like a dead hump of. It would be like a a person who uh, who's like clinically alive, yeah, but is like a vegetative state for the right. rest of their life. Like, would that be the one on Mars is like just never actually received the, 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 the thing it needs to. Yeah. Like it's a body with no driver or it's a body with a driver, but there's still no, like there's like, it's almost an, it's an avatar of you, but it's not a conscious avatar. It, it still has the same functions. It can still do day-to-day tasks, but it's not a soul in a yeah. sense of because we don't really know what what I kind of lean towards that theory myself. Yeah, because like we don't really understand like like there are people, and I'm sure we've all experienced people that look like they're just on autopilot. Yeah, and they don't yeah. seem to have much function going on. You know, like yeah. like much real thought, like much real um, like umph or I don't know how to explain it, but like. You, they're not taking conscious control of their life. They're yeah, living on they're just autopilot. living it, and they're just letting things happen to them. And they're not, you know, they don't seem to have much control over what's going on in the moment. So, yeah, the way I've been thinking about this uh, <clears throat> topic recently is like, so what if what it actually is is that 
So yeah, we have this human body. It's this collection of cells. And for them, they're this community that lives together, communicates together. They're sharing their resources. They're sending signals all over to let the other ones know what's happening. Um, And then um, the brain itself, uh, it does receive all these inputs and it lights up and flashes different parts of the brain. But that could just be like an antenna to your spirit's so that it's telling your spirit what's happening and your spirit is inputting back into the brain what it wants to happen. Yeah. But it may explain like this idea of like a conscious and subconscious. Mm -hmm. Like what if the subconscious is essentially like the body without the soul, right? Like it's the thing taking in all this stuff. It's the thing like the brain, it's the brain. The subconscious is the brain and the conscious is the spirit. Yeah. And the conscious is, how all of the information gets disseminated to make sense and to be actionable to this body. Yeah. Like if there's other bodies with different, with, with other brains that maybe have a different tuned antenna because it's in a different space, it's in a different time. Mm -hmm. It needs different information to survive. Right. So if I, if we talk about like reincarnation, maybe, right. Mm-hmm. If you go to the example of like reincarnation, like if we are all like constantly, like if time we're gonna is, we're going to do an episode on that, by the we way, we are, we're going to do an episode on a lot of this. This is kind of a tangent, but <laughs> like, uh, you know, if you are, um, if you, if time is, um, constant, like if it's a loop and it's just always happening all at once, right? So the past, present, future is all happening at once, and you are have an incarnation in each in all of time. Mm, yeah. Then every tuning, every physical as like every physical body that you have drew, you know, the Drews of the past or the Deans of the past all have different. Um, tuning because they need different information and they, they need to, they need to take in different things and be able to act on different things based on what's going on in their environment, Mm. past, present and future, whatever that environment might be. Yeah. That whole idea of like simultaneous time is really interesting. Yes. Uh, We'll definitely do an episode on that. You get a lot of people with like hallucinogenic experiences who, or people with like, visionary experiences like shamans yeah. and stuff talking about how time is an illusion. Yeah. And even without spirit, even uh, science, like a lot of science yeah. talks about like, like there, it makes no sense why there's a arrow of time. Yeah. Why it's linear. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, even without in both directions, even, even without psychedelics, right? Like there's people who do yoga mm-hmm. or whatever, Kundalini, mm-hmm. like, and they have this sort of experience of like leaving their body yeah. or tapping into, tapping into their higher body or, of exist, like right. their higher body of knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or like that recent episode of, <clears throat> um, brothers of the serpent where they talked to that chick. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was that? Um, uh, um, and she was, she basically does, yeah. What was the, um, that is episode 300, uh, the Akashic records and ancestral magic with this, uh, her name was Heather shy. Yeah. Heather shy. Um, and w- does it have a little snippet of what she does on there too? Cause I can't think of yeah, so the name of like, what she uh, does. Like healing and, um, uh, like astrology type stuff. Yeah. And basically helps people go on 
like healing journeys or she says she's she a she's a certified hypnotist too records. yeah she uses hypnotism yeah so look up akashic record akashic records and um yeah check out brothers of serpent brothers of serpent podcast is great we both love Any, it um similarities you notice between our podcast and theirs is totally coincidental <laughs> there's no <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> we definitely didn't take any inspiration from them whatsoever no not at all <laughs> but um but that was a fascinating topic that she was talking about um and i'd love to I, our sister does some mm-hmm. stuff like that she does um crystal healing and she does mm-hmm. birth charts and she's very in tune with that aspect of life i have such a like weird relationship with those topics like like i through my life have gone back and forth between like hard science atheism and like full-on spiritualism full-on new age woo-woo spiritualism and i've got i've got this like bs meter that starts going off in my head when i hear people like using certain terms and whatnot and like uh can you actually explain this or like what is the actual theory behind this I mean, um, but I'm trying to be open-minded. And well, and it's like what I we actually, talked about, like and, science can't do anything better for us a lot of the times right, with a lot of this right. stuff. Right, we're talking about all of yeah. its limits. And in yeah. fact, like I've actually made, found some sort of middle road, like the duality. Yep. Where like I actually duality believe check. what a lot of people would consider to be very woo-woo stuff, but we'll get into a lot of that stuff in good time. Oh, on the topic of consciousness there's a lot of really interesting like illusions um that kind of help show that what you actually experience is some sort of weird amalgamation of uh of what your brain actually creates like what we when you look out of your eyes and you see the world like what you're seeing what you're perceiving is not what is coming into your brain right it's a it's a it's a a dumbed down version of the, all of the actual information being being processed. Mm-hmm. And, well, and some of it's straight up fabricated, right? Because your brain wants to fill in the gaps to. Yeah. So yeah. There's this. Uh, so you can actually here test this at home, guys. What you want to do is you want to take a white piece of paper. Do you have a paper around here? You should do this. Yeah, I'll do it right now. Okay. Do you have anything that's not lined? It may not work with lines. I'll use this. There you go. All right. Put a, take a plain white piece of paper, put a black dot in the middle of it. Oh yeah. I know where you're going with this. Okay. Okay. Now what I want you to do is hold that in front of yourself and close one eye. Okay. You might not be able to hear me, but we'll do this. Okay. Now. If you move it around, you can. You might have to move it a little closer and farther, but there's a certain s- sweet spot if you get it directly into the part of your vision where um, the stem of your eye connects to the eyeball. There's actually no rods and cones there, and your eye can't actually detect that dot. You know, I think oh. you have to hold it a little further out and make sure one eye's closed. Just keep you think the moving. computer screens actually, are affecting me at all? Uh, if you get it right in the sweet spot, oh, it think- will disappear. So essentially what's happening is there's this point in your field of vision where your brain fills in the blank. And if you have 
both eyes open, it can kind of use information from one eye to fill in the blank in the other eye. But if you have only one eye open, you can actually find the sweet spot. It's a little easier. I found it easier if you like have it face down and then you can kind of move your head over it. I know it's hard to do with the microphone. So try that at home and maybe even look it up online to get better directions on how to do it. But I've done it multiple times. You can actually get the dot to disappear if you put it right in the perfect spot. Well, I know that if I, if I move it over to where my other eye would pick it up, I obviously it disappears, but yeah, I haven't found the sweet spot yet. I'm going to keep working on it. Yeah. It's my homework over the weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's another illusion where, uh, for people who have the ability to flip your tongue up, upside down, you can flip your tongue. You can flip your tongue and kind of bite down on it so the left side of your tongue is on the right and the right side of your tongue is on the left. And then if you touch what is now on the right side, you will actually feel it on the right side even though it's the left side of your tongue and you should be feeling it as the left side of your tongue but you will still feel it as the right side of your tongue it's really weird yeah it's almost like the i can't do it but i understand the principle of it yeah it's almost like the right side of your brain or body is picking it up now like because you're moving it from your left side to your right side, now the neurons that are being fired are still in, like it's it's still flipping right in space. It's flipping in space, but your perce perception isn't flipping, right? Because the brain never <laughs> evolved to like need to detect the difference between the left side and the right side of your tongue. And it's so going to yeah, after after we get weird. done with it. It's weird. <laughs> Um, I can't flip my tongue though. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a funny trying though. <laughs> uh, I can make a taco. That reminds me. Uh, so our family has this like weird trait oh where gosh, we can, yeah. we can shake our eyes. So you just kind of like go partially cross-eyed and like put a little pressure in your eyes while I'm all start shaking. And we used to, uh, <laughs> have our great grandma try and do it and oh every time God, yeah. it just looked like she, <laughs> her face would start vibrating her cheeks would vibrate she, she'd and like she stop breathing and she's like just like focusing all of her energy to try to make it happen yeah it looks like she's just trying to take a poo it's the yeah. funniest thing ever and her whole face would just go <laughs> like just shaking violently and I can't do it. I can only. I can't make them shake. You can't. I think no, I can't. I'm. I'm. I'm the. I'm the odd man out. You're I the, can. You're the black sheep. I can family. cross one eye instead of both eyes. Oh. Yeah, you definitely look weird doing that. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Like most people, when you go to cross your eye, you cross both eyes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at the same time, mm -hmm. simultaneously. Mine is one eye. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's probably why you can't do it. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, all right, here's here's one more. So if you're driving, obviously don't do this or pause it and wait till you're <laughs> yeah to your uh, in a safe spot at but your destination. What we want you to do is 
have a have a look around the room that you're sitting in or wherever you find yourself and i want you to take note mentally try and remember every single thing you see that is red so do that now look around try and get a running list in your head everything that you see that has just even a little bit of red you doing it yep <laughs> are, you, are you ready all right now I'm ready. close your eyes and I want you to tell me everything that is green and don't open your eyes. Yeah. And now. Uh, Can you think of anything in here that's green? I mean, the only thing I know for sure is this Rubik's Cube sitting in front of me. Mm. Has green on it. I don't even know that it's facing. Yeah, see, the, no, green's the green's not even facing, facing me. You. But I know it has green on it. <laughs> right, right. So, <laughs> and what that illustrates is this thing that the brain does where... um it's, I I think this is personally related to what people experience as the law of attraction, where essentially if you set your sights on something, you concentrate on something enough, your brain goes to work trying to pull all the instances of that that it sees in the world. And so had I asked you to name the stuff that was read, you could have named a good amount oh, of stuff. Oh, I was ready to. Yeah. I was ready to point to them too uh-huh. with my eyes closed. Right, but because I – Instead, asked you about the green while you were focused on the red. Yeah. You don't have any of that stuff in your brain, even though you just combed the entire room. So your brain is doing all this cataloging for you because you asked it to focus on something. And it will deliver what you focus on. Yeah. It's very similar. Like, it's essentially why, like, when you buy a new car, all of a sudden you see that yeah. car everywhere. Or when I named your brain my son. is tuned into that car now. Yeah. And so it will present... Um, instances yep. where you see that car. Okay. Whereas when you didn't have that car, you wouldn't even thinking about getting that yeah. car. You don't notice that car being everywhere. When I named my son Wyatt, I had, I, I mean, I knew there was people who named Wyatt, but I had never heard, like never been around, never, like it never registered as like people Wyatt, like, right. but now every play place, every single park, everywhere we go, it just seems like there's a kid named Wyatt. <laughs> every time I'm like, what is going on? And it's the same. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. cause I've definitely felt that, that phenomenon when I buy a car, mm-hmm. I had an Isuzu rodeo. Who the hell has an Isuzu rodeo? But I see it, saw them everywhere. Yeah. Every yeah. single place I went, I saw an Isuzu rodeo. Right. rodeo. I'm like, this is crazy. Yep. And once I got my car, in fact, <laughs> I mean, there's probably something qualitatively difference between the wholeness of what people describe sure. as the law of attraction, because like, it's a little different to like start seeing a bunch of it. And it's a little, and it's a whole nother thing is like the instant it came to your head. Like there it is. There it is. Yeah. Like it doesn't explain like you and me talking about someone. And then all of a sudden that person calls you tomorrow. Like that, that doesn't explain that. Like there's something weird happening there, but it does, it can like, explain a subset of that phenomenon yeah. where you do start focusing on it and then all of a sudden you see examples of it. And so it's actually really a powerful thing to do. Yeah. So even though science will say, Oh, this law of attraction, Oh, that's just a bunch of woo woo BS. Like mm-hmm. there actually is at the very least, there is some known truth to it, which is the fact that your brain yeah. um, will do work for you based on whatever you want it to focus on. Wow. It's kind of like the idea too. Like have you ever had the experience where there's like a problem you're chewing on or something and then you go to bed and you wake up and you're like, Oh, that's the solution. Yep. 
Yep. Your brain well, uh, can work on stuff even when you're not consciously doing it. Nowadays, it's going to be hard to decipher with all this uh, new technology that's listening into everything. We're, mm, yeah. You know, AI listening <laughs> right. to your conversations. Is it the law of attraction or is it Alexa being <laughs> a freaking creepo spy? Listening to everything, waiting for me to say, hey, Alexa. Oh, yeah. Sorry mm-hmm. if I woke your Alexas up. Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Alexa. Um. Hey, Alexa, sing me a song. <laughs> Uh, all right, let, let's move on to another one. Okay. So that's consciousness. Um, you want to talk about hard and soft sciences after that, or do you want to go? I want to talk about uh, the limits of science in the yeah. field of archaeology. Okay. So, yeah, which I, that is hard and soft science yeah. is that topic. So, so hard sciences, what is a hard science and what are the soft science? What are the like slash humanities or what they're called, right? Mm-hmm. So on the hard science, like physics, um, mathematics, well, math is more of a subset of philosophy, I would say than a science. Cause you can't exactly test it in the same way. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's true. Um, but, but you can, you can put a bunch of number blocks together. Well, yeah, but like, <laughs> so like physics, biology, yeah, okay. neurology, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. Where you're trying to figure out how the natural world works. Um, it's totally different than these softer sciences slash humanities um, where, because if you apply the scientific um, method to the natural sciences, the hard sciences, you will get back data from the real world itself. Yeah. Which if you do a good job in your experiment design and not getting tricked by the data, not, not like being reading biased. things into the, yeah, yeah, not being biased, not being biased, all this stuff, you can get out truth. Right. Or at least you can help eliminate lies and come to a little bit better understanding of how the world works. Might upgrade to a theory. Yeah. One day. <laughs> but in the humanities or the soft sciences, you can't coax the truth out in the same way. So you can't design an experiment for whether or not a Roman society was this way or that way. You can, what we do instead is you can just dig up stuff. You can do some tests on the stuff, right? That you can use actual scientific tests like carbon dating. Sure. But you um, can't, you can't know what the society itself was like. Right. So no, no matter what artifacts you dig up, no matter what, like, uh, murals and paintings yeah. and even writings, you don't actually, none of that will actually tell you what the day to day life was like, what for like, an average, you can kind of piece stuff together, but there is no like objective <clears throat> truth, right answer out there. Yeah. Uh, that we can actually directly access with an experiment the same way can, that you can do with physics. Right. Like that's why, you know, when you look at archaeology and history and stuff that we're, we're, we're painting a picture of what it looked like based on the artifacts we're finding. Right. So we, we do get certain data points. Like we know that they wore this, this kind particular of particular tool re- returned this result, giving it this sort of estimated date. You know that this writing is claimed at least to have been written by this person in this right. area, you know, whether that's fact or, or right. whether that's derived from some kind of truth or if it was some kind of fiction that somebody wrote. Right. So you end up with all these like different data points and then the job of the archeologist is to then 
weave that hopefully into a story that explains all those things in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. But it's just a story. It's a story. And there could be infinite number of different stories that incorporate all this stuff in different ways. And you can maybe make some predictions that maybe some digs later will add or deny. Yeah. But you can't get straight at the truth the same way you can with the hard sciences. Yeah. You can't prove it. You can't prove it. All you can do is speculate. It's all speculation. Another example of that is like psychology. Yep. So psychology, it's like trying to figure out like how the brain works, but more on the conscious side of things rather Human than like neuroscience where it's like the actual neuron connections and how does the brain physically work. This is more like how does the human psyche work? Yeah. Like and what is the... What are human motivations? And what are the, what are the um, physical... Um, repercussions for what's happening psychologically in a certain person. Right. 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 Like what is the action that they're taking based on the things that they're saying, the things that we can determine based on their mm -hmm. medications or their history or their nurture, the person, you know, the whole nurtured nature type thing. mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. And, And the thing with psychology is like the best tool they have for like sussing out the truth of like, what is it that humans actually think about this or that is like surveying humans. The thing is, is like humans can be wrong about what they think. They can lie. I have many times in the past, like been wrong about why I think or feel a certain way about my own brain. So when I answer someone's survey, like you're doing it to the best of your knowledge in the moment, lying per se, like I may be misleading because I may not have that understanding. Yeah. About what it is that you're feeling or but what it is that you're experiencing. Then there's also lying. And then there's, there's also lying people and being too shy to admit the truth. And, yep. Um, just telling people what they think people want to hear. Yep. And so all of these sorts of issues can creep in, which makes it one of the, you know, soft sciences because. Yeah, because you can't put there, a. There's no objective way to it. Yeah. Like until one day we have some sort of sci fi way where you can like put on a VR helmet and be inside someone else's Telepathy. head, hear their thoughts, Telepathy, see yeah. what they see, smell what they smell. Like <clears throat> you can't know for sure that what someone else is reporting about their own psyche is actually the truth or the fact. Right. And so, well, and, and, and even still, right. So if you could mu- read somebody's mind, it doesn't mean that what they are thinking is what they is the objective believe. truth. Yeah, right. Of what's happening inside their head. Right, right, right. So yeah, because you can see an event and be like, what I'm seeing is some guy being an asshole cutting me off in traffic. And what someone else seeing that is like, maybe they have a different perspective and they're like, oh no, I see a guy who was needed to get over here and tried to squeeze in, you know? like Yeah. That's more of a fourth dimensional type of, uh, there is no objective ob- truth in some observation. situations about like the narrative that we yeah. make up in our heads yeah. about what's happening. Yeah. The way we perceive everything is, is, is totally subjective to your experience and everything that's happening to you that day, per- perhaps. And mm-hmm. you know, it all, it's all, it's all kind of, um, just, up in the air and flowing because you can't, you just can't prove 
what somebody's experiencing, what they're telling you is f- fact. Even, even they can't prove it to you. They can't tell you. F- they can't give you enough information about the way they feel to make you certain that that's the way they feel. Right. It's just not possible. Right. We're coming up on our break here. Okay. We're, we got, we got time. Do you want to take still. a break? No, we got like 10 minutes or so, I think. Okay. Five. <clears throat> Uh, anyway, you keep going a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, I brought up the hard sciences in order to point out archeology, span right? So yes. specifically you can see this in places like Egypt where you see, um, and I highly recommend, um, the work of, uh, uh, Ben Kirkwick, Van Kirkwick, I think. Yeah, from Uncharted X. Uncharted X YouTube channel. He's got this great series called um, A Tale of Two Industries. Yeah. um, Which is fantastic. Um, Essentially, what you see when you look back in ancient Egypt is, so there there was, no one's disputing, not even us people into the weird, that there was these dynastic ancient Egyptians who were, in the Bronze Age, who could manipulate copper, um, they didn't have steel yet. They had, they didn't even have the wheel, right? Until much later. Um, They're primitive. I mean, yeah, for the they, most part, they were in you know a yeah. certain age of human development. Yeah, um, the Copper Age. If you will. But according to their writings, um, they inherited their tradition from. The gods from the early times, from the Zeptepi. The ancient ones. So, I just made that up. <laughs> um, and essentially, you see two different types of things. So what are acknowledged as some of the oldest stuff in Egypt are actually the highest technological achievements. So the Sphinx, the Great yeah. Pyramids. Um, and you can actually see examples of how it's different technology. If you go out and look in the quarries where a lot of the stone was quarried from, um, you can see uh, two different types of quarrying happening. You can see quarrying that is done with copper chisels. Yeah. And there's all this like evidence left over of the use of the copper chisels and the tools and all the like dust that's made in doing that. Right, and you can see the tooling marks on the stone itself that looks yeah. like chisel patterns. And then there's this other type of quarrying where it looks like ice cream scoops. scoops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It literally looks like the way your ice cream looks when I mean, you scoop it yeah. out of the tin. Like what's left in the tin? Yeah. That's what little semicircle, like. partial circle, your par- partially circular motions, if you will. Like it's like you took your hand through sand and dug that out, and like that's the impression it made. Yeah. So you have these, uh, you have these uh, pyramids that are built with super high precision, with like perfectly flat surfaces, with no mortar, and the stones are coming together, so you can't even get a piece of paper in between. Yep. Um, you get these boxes that are like perfectly level. You get these vases that are made. Dude, the episode where he was talking about uh, his recent appearance on Joe Rogan with mm-hmm. Randall. He's talking oh, yeah. about all the precision of the, of the stone vases. vases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the granite 
vases. They are granite. It was one of the hardest, most like, yeah. it's also brittle stone. Right. And these things are cut to like within hundreds or thousands of an inch, perfectly uh, Line. parallel uh, lines on different dimensions, sides, the, perfectly perpendicular yeah. on the vertical versus the horizontal. The dimensions on the left and right are perfect. The two different handles are perfect to each other. Yep. Like the precision is like space age precision. Yeah. And he was on, um, um, what's the, the one you showed me us the other day? Jones. What's his first name? Chris Jones. Yeah, Danny Jones. Danny Jones. <laughs> Um, and he was talking about that again too. And he was talking about how like you would need like a chimera, like a computer mm-hmm. to be able to make those types of. To, yeah. Like an ancient, like a, like you, a mechanistic. Yeah, you need a Turing machine. Yeah, a Turing machine. Yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was. A Turing machine to be able to make those types. And even if you did that, even if you wrote it out and you, you like, you still need out, to have a way for that still, Turing machine to then convert whatever you calculated into something physical. So you yeah. would need machining. You would, you would need, need a lathe or something like right, some kind but of. Even a lathe can't explain like the, the handles because you can't, you can't do those handles off of the. Off of the jar with a lathe because it would cut that off. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, so like you have these things. So you have these crazy perfect pyramids, but you also have these like crumbling decrepit pyramids Mm -hmm. that are made out of like, like much weaker stone, smaller pieces. And then you've got these like perfect stone, mathematically perfect jars. And then you've got like clay pottery that is like painted up to look like the stone. So you have these like two levels of technology and you and you think when you hear this, oh, okay, well, obviously they got better as time went on. Right? Like the early Egyptians, yeah. they developed their that's technology not, and they got better, the and better. Except even according to Egyptologists, it's the stuff Opposite. that's perfect, that's all the stuff that actually comes earlier. Yep. It was all mimicry. It was all stuff the older stuff was the worst stuff because they were trying to mimic. Yeah. So you get this really great stuff and then you get this like crap stuff that is trying to mimic the other yeah. stuff. And that, that speaks in and of itself speaks of a lost technology. Mm-hmm. At so least what, it speaks of a, of a changing of like, of, of the way the world, like maybe it was, you know, cause we all know like, um, societies rise and fall. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it, it, at the very least, something happened to make it so that they were not as good right. at these things as they used to be. Right. Like they, they had a certain level of technology and lost it. And lost it over time. Yeah. But that's not the official story. So official well, of Egyptology and their archaeologists, what they talk about is they basically just discount a lot of this evidence because they take whatever data points they accept and are accepted in their respectable circles and they they weave a, a narrative telling us about the Egypt. And what's funny is like you know how they get the like this record of all the pharaohs? Yeah. Because they found this king's list. Right. And so they will take the word of the ancient Egyptians themselves in certain settings where they give them this king's list of who ruled after who, yeah, what right. are the dynasties. Yeah. But the thing about that king's list is it goes way further back. Yeah. And so what the Egyptologists have done is they said, everything before this point, that's just myth. 
<laughs> right. So they'll believe the right. Egyptians on this later Up to part a of certain the king's point. list. But when they themselves say they inherited this technology from <laughs> yeah. an earlier source. That's bullshit. The gods from, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, from the Zeptepi times. And then when they actually provide you a list of the kings that ruled during that time, you don't accept that. So it just goes to show like the limitations of these soft sciences. They're the biases. They're ruled by people who have just agendas. Like else. They have motivations. They have desires to keep their prestigious positions. And maybe there's some darker elements that maybe there's some later. financial elements to it. You know, maybe there's some darker elements that maybe there's a conspiracy. There's probably at some level a conspiracy that makes it seem that they're definitely covering up some, uh, not, maybe you're not even covering up, but they're just not giving the evidence that they can see in front of their face enough, enough support. Right. right. They're not willing to accept things that they don't accept. They, they, they haven't already accepted Yeah, because it doesn't put make together sense a for their narrative. And they're so yeah. committed to that, their narrative that they're willing to ignore certain evidence because yeah. it doesn't, they can't easily slot it into their narrative. Right. And, and that's like, the problem with these soft sciences is they're so human interpretation based. There's no way to like, yeah, you can't just catch them in a lie. Right. And you have to trust that they are going out and they have the, the, the general um, population's best interest at heart. Right. It's just not, not realistic. All right. Not so realistic. with that, we're going to go refill our drinks one more time. Yeah. And, uh, we'll be back for the last and final segment of episode one of Duality Check. That's right. Very excited. Check, 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 check. <laughs> Listen to music for a minute. Did not just talk for five minutes no, we'll and forget to press happened. record. We'll forget that happened. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and yeah. we totally, this is our first attempt at this show as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we totally didn't do like a whole segment that we trashed. We nailed it. Yeah. Just so everybody's aware. <laughs> no. All right. Well, anyway. Yeah, I was gonna. I was talking about how I change beers. Dean's still drinking the Rogue, the Bat Squatch. Yeah, yeah. This is good. And six point seven. You, you are drinking now. I'm drinking the Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing from um, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company in Chico. Six point seven ABV. Yeah, that's no, for you, Dad. Uh, six point seven alcohol. Um, it doesn't say ABV. Like. Huh. Doesn't want us to know. What does it have an IBU on it? That's what I meant. IBU. Say ABV. Doesn't say that's the one. It doesn't Mm. say on here. Yeah, they don't all say that when they do. But I'll recycle it because it's telling me to. Yep. Another hazy. You're gonna see a lot of hazies. That seems to be like what most craft brews like make as far as IPAs these days. I don't get a lot of like the old school ones that I really liked. I like I like hoppy and piney 
IPAs. Those are my favorite. I remember when you first introduced me to Pliny the Younger. Mm, yeah. You brought over one bottle and it was like a magical thing for me. I don't, I, you were, I don't think they make the – no, the, the Elder is the one you can – you can get pretty regularly. Regularly, yeah. It's the, younger the younger is that's the a special rare. release, and I don't yeah. know if they bottle it. I think it's only in kegs, unless you go to the brewery itself. Like you have to like know when it's going to release and know what place to go to get it. They only keg that? No, I think. Well, maybe you. I, I don't know. You you definitely brought some home at one point. I feel like unless it was the elder it was that probably we were drinking. The elder. Okay. Yeah. Which they have a nugget. Honest mistake. I was under the age. I mean, I was. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I, I was totally still. didn't teach you about alcohol when you were not of age. I mean, learning, learning, it's not a problem. <laughs> right? I got my socks on. Oh, God. Inside joke. Oh, God. <laughs> and I if told, you know, you know. I told the story at his wedding and he turned beet red and I kind of felt bad afterwards. Well, it was mostly because I looked at the audience and I was like, shit, there's a lot of people here that might not have wanted to hear that. <laughs> but it's fine. It is totally fine. It's in the past now. Or the future. <laughs> yeah, because I'm cyclical. All right, so we were talking about ancient Egypt um, and about archaeology and how like it's kind of a game of like painting a narrative with the little bits of data that they get here and there. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's a data point that there's a pyramid there. Yeah, right. That's a, well, I mean, I haven't been there. Have you been there? <laughs> I don't know, I but mean, yeah. Unless all of Google Earth is a uh, conspiracy, everything itself. I've ever known is a lie. Okay, yeah. We gotta grab onto something <laughs> as truth. Okay, so yes, it is a physical thing in yeah. a physical space. But the as other problem with archaeology is that there's a lot of lost knowledge and it's uh it's heartbreaking and frustrating like the burning of library of alexandria yeah just how much human knowledge and even was destroyed not to get not i don't want this to mean anything politically but like the um a lot of the temples and and artifacts Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the middle east Mm -hmm. that are being destroyed yeah the iraq war the iraq war and how much that devastated our human knowledge and babylonian Uh, artifacts that were just flat out destroyed the freaking what the museum of baghdad was looted yeah well, and even the so going way back, right? The pyra- the pyramids themselves, the limestone casing blocks. Yep, those were stolen. That, like the pyramid, the pictures you see, they that doesn't represent what the pyramid looked like in right. its entirety. It would have been smooth with like a flat surface on the side instead of a stepping surface. Yeah. And it would have had, I, it was rumored to have, or it was told in ancient sources to have capstone. had like a gold capstone. Yeah. yeah. Can you well, imagine and, if we could see it that way today? Like, oh, well, you can if you play uh, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> I played that one a little bit. Dude, you need to play that. That one's the best one, I think, because I you get to roam like around ancient Maybe a Egypt. third into it. But Anyway. I, I went straight under the Sphinx. I was like, where's the yes. library? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I did the same thing. I went straight to the pyramids. I climbed to the very top. I yeah. wrote my name. Yeah. And then and I then jumped off and I was I like, ju- I'm And then I dead. slid down. You could slid, slide <laughs> yeah, down yeah. it and like, dude, it's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, but 
just a yeah, quick just so much we've lost yeah but like a quick side note too like there's mm-hmm. there are people there are scientists and archaeologists that are looking into how the elements of the pyramid themselves they're they, the mainstream is that there, it was a tomb right because that, Egyptologists later, say that the great pyramid well all three of the great pyramids were yeah. tombs but even but, though the only tombs the only actual bodies they've ever found were in the much older the, much uh, easier to date well the actually the newer pyramids that's like what i mean oh sorry yeah no that's what i mean the yeah. newer ones that are much easier to date and they have humans remains in them and there's right. you know but along the, with all of the accoutrements that would yep, go with it like yep, the offerings the, that all you the offer, need for yep. the dead and whatnot yeah for the duat mm-hmm. but um the the three pyramids, they don't have that. Yeah, there was There's never, never, been, never a been a tomb found. A tomb found. There's inside. never been a body found. There's been a bunch of chambers. There's been a bunch of um, weirdly oriented shafts mm-hmm. found. Mm-hmm. And there's been an aquifer. The Orion correlation where the three pyramids. Yeah, where they all line up to Orion's yep. belt. But there's also been an aquifer uh, found underneath the pyramids or yes. a river, like an underground yeah, there's, there's an river. Underground uh, water source, water somewhere. source, yeah, and there's a lot of speculation to what this all means the uh, the the orientation, the, yeah, the, the the construction, the fact that the king's chamber inside the pyramid mm-hmm. is made of like like multi toned stones, yeah, those, those from are, three miles away, no, like five hundred miles away. Okay, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Either, either way, it's far. Yeah, and these people were supposed to move a uh, sixty-ton stone without the wheel, <laughs> five hundred miles. You know, granted, there was this one guy. I can't remember his name, but I I saw a couple of videos of him recently that re- that reminded me of when I saw it originally, like years back. It was uh, a guy who is a he's an engineer. He's a retired engineer. Oh, you're talking uh, Christopher Dunn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He uses the the um, leverage of like a center point underneath the stone. It's like a leverage point, so you can rotate it, and then using like logs laid out in a certain way to like slide it over like a conveyor belt looking thing. Oh, you're talking about? No, that's not Christopher Dunn. Then you're talking about uh, the people who are like trying to use primitive technology to yes to explain how the stones yeah, are moved, right? The problem is... Um, granted, there are some that make sense. There are some, yeah. But the pace at which it would have to be done would make it's it still like, a mu- like a multi-century project. Yeah, still hundreds of years. But just granted, but that is... Supposedly a, built in like that, 25 years, according to... I don't even know what the source is for that, I think. Yeah, uh, I, don't I don't know. know. But still, the the evidence showing like that is not a tomb. I just wanted to go on the side note that like the pyramid itself is being blocked by Zahi Hawass. Like mm-hmm. you can't do any. I mean, and also he, he's the, the conflicts that are happening. There authority too, figure that runs the I forget what the Egyptian Egypt, Department of Egyptology Antiquities or whatever. Yeah, something like that. He's he, like he's the like the official head of like Egyptology in Egypt. He tells people who can and can't do what projects. He approves and can and all can't of it. Study the pyramids or yeah. anything in Egypt in certain ways. Yep. One person. 
not a board of directors. That yeah. would, you know, but yeah. anyway, and his story is really interesting too. He actually like came from this like group of like, what were they into? They were like into like weird psychic stuff. And yeah. No, he was like, they like paid for Zahi Wasa's education to like plant him in official Egyptology so they could get it in. Yeah. Well, and imagine he turned they're on playing them. the long, oh, may, imagine they're playing the long game. Well, maybe maybe he according is. to them he wow. turned on them and he there's a lot of money denied involved. them access too yeah maybe there's a lot of money involved or there's just a deeper knowledge and understanding of what's going on there or he got the talking to before he That's got that I mean. position like he's know? like hey listen do you want to know the the origins of the universe right then shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> right right like we'll give you this knowledge for yourself but you must. Nobody else. You must only allow the official story for yeah. everyone else. Yeah. We like to talk about these things, guys. Mm-hmm. Listen, we're going to talk about conspiracies. Yeah. And oh, we're, yeah. we're going to talk about them a lot. And, and we'll, uh, we'll support them and we'll break them down too. Yeah. We'll try to break them down the best of our ability. And I think we are pretty grounded in what, like we, like this is why we're doing this episode specifically as, as first too is like to let people know we we appreciate science yeah. we appreciate all it has to offer. Go easy on holding the mic all the time. You're gonna oh. get a lot of rumble. That there way. you go. Is that better? Yeah, like we're gonna go pretty heavy on it. Mm-hmm. So just uh, uh, the other stay thing, tuned. that big loss of knowledge that we know for sure happened. Um, was Lions here in the them. Americas. Yeah. yeah, the the Spanish, when they came here, they literally went out of their way to burn every single text that the Mayans had. Yeah. To the point imagine. where I think we have like three or four. That's it. And they had such an interesting, unique language and stuff. And just what's the the wealth of knowledge that we uh, could have gleaned from that? From this land. The it, land but, we, we live no, in. Someone... Upon high, decided this was not godly. These heathens and these savages, we must destroy all their knowledge and turn them into good Christians. Man. Yeah, the amount of knowledge that could have been. I mean, it's like, you know, in the, in the, to grasp it, it's like, you know, your, your grandparents or somebody that you've respected your whole life wanting to pass on their knowledge. It's like that, but multiplied on mm-hmm. such a level that like there's so much about the world that they knew mm-hmm. and had a perspective on because these are modern well, we anatomical like, humans that's the that, that have the same brain so like, but these are the, they have the same brain as us right right they just lived a different lifestyle and they had some amazing accomplishments yeah and buildings and stuff they had their own pyramids there's probably some dark stuff going on with seemingly human yeah, sacrifices sure. and whatnot. But, but the world was a different place. Right? I want to I know. I want to know. What was it all for? What were they, what did they know or what did they think about the world and the nature of it? What experiences did they have that shaped their learning? Yeah. Or yeah. was it all just a dictator at the top telling people what to think mm-hmm. from the time that humanity has started? Right. And that right? Kinda, was there just a powerful that, person? That kind of segues to into like, like, why are we pointing all this out? Yeah. All, all these like sh- blind spots, shortcomings, total theoretic things um, that science tends to portray as fact when in fact it's really just a theory. Yeah. 
And the reason is because it's like, it's important for us to know how the world works and the people who call themselves the intellectuals who take it upon themselves to represent us in pursuing knowledge and truth and then sharing with, with us the rest of the world on what they find. Like they're just humans. Yeah. They, they have all sorts of monetary and political reasons for. So one thing in the history of science, like science comes out of it. I mean, it goes way back. Like modern science goes back to like bacon and the Renaissance and the enlightenment. <clears throat> but like back yeah. before that, it was the scholastics, the Catholics yeah. that were, that were doing science. And before that, the Greeks and all these, you know, but Okay, I got my point back. Um, so where I was going with that is that the roots of science, of modern science, came out of the scholastics. This was like when science and religion were part of the same thing. And so it wasn't so crazy to like do science and for that science to line up with the religious understandings. Right. Obviously that can lead to like religious biases and lead to blind spots because of that. But at some point during like the enlightenment when atheism and people started leaving the church and the Catholics were fragmenting into all these different religions um, and people who wanted to do science, there was more and more people who were doing science who were not spiritual. Right. And they were trying to steer science in a direction where, no, we're going to explain these things without miracles. We're going to explain these things without God. We're going to explain these things as mechanistic. This is when this like materialism worldview got yeah. started. And so there's this bias to this day in science where if something seems to be hinting at something that gives credibility to religion, uh -huh. we're going to try and steer yeah. away from that explanation. That is our last option for where we'll go for <coughs> the explanation. And it's funny because it blows up in their face all the time. In fact, recently they just found the biblical um, city of Sodom. Right. And that it was destroyed by uh, uh, an airburst meteor that exploded in the atmosphere above Sodom and just leveled the city. Right. Yeah. It was just like, uh, um, like what happened in, uh, Tunguska. Just like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, another example is the city of Troy that we was, yeah. came was down mythical. in the writings of like the Iliad and whatnot. Yeah. And Homer wrote about him. We hadn't found it. And everyone thought it was just a myth until someone actually found it. Um, and so in a similar way, like anytime science seems to be leading us in a direction that might give credence to spirituality and religion, everything possible is done to steer the science it's away, from, away from it. Yeah. And so all of this evidence with like the younger Dryas impact theory, mm -hmm. this idea that 12,800 years ago to 11,600 years ago, this period called the younger Dryas, um, there was an event that happened that wiped the earth that wiped the earth clean in a sense. Like and there we know was that definitely humans some existed safe, then. Yeah. And there were some safe havens obviously. Right. <clears throat> um, but the majority uh, in this, in this theory, the, 
Ocean levels rose by hundreds of feet. 400 feet over the Younger Dryas. And that means that anything, like if you think about like where we have our cities, everything's mm-hmm. coastal. The largest cities are all right. right next to the coast. So that would, and if you're talking about like an airburst, that would, you know, if you had any type of technology that might be electrical, would have been wiped out. Like, mm-hmm. not saying well, that it almost was. Almost everything would have been wiped out. And yeah. my point isn't to go into the Younger Dryas on a tangent because we're yeah, going to do yeah, a whole yeah. show. We're definitely going to do a whole show on that. Um, for sure. In fact, probably multiple. Actually, our next, yeah, I think our next one. Yeah. In fact, yeah, that's next episode. That's um, our next episode is that. But the reason I bring that up is to just show that all this Younger Dryas science is. Just look at the unfair and ridiculous skepticism it's getting. Go yeah. to cometresearchgroup.com. Might be Maybe done that. Check them both. Just Google it. You'll find them. <laughs> or uh, the Cosmic Tusk. Um, either of those websites have all the like all this published um, scientific uh, research on the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis. But the problem, the reason why so many scientists are against it is because this is essentially proof of the biblical flood. Yep. And we don't want to go there. No. Yeah, it's proof of, it's proof of that and it's also proof that there was not proof proof but it's it's proof that there is possible that there was large societies large um like there was civilization. Civilization happening before this time. Right. And that it it only makes sense when you talk about like the Clovis culture and how like that's like the accepted time of like human uh, development where we grew agriculture and we started mm-hmm. like all like that. Well, the period. Clovis is uh, Clovis the people is the, in North America. Yeah. Yeah. But like the that period of time is when civilization like started. Right. Right. Because yeah. we started agriculture and we started all these things to, to start technologically advancing to the point where we can have a civilization. Sometime maybe 50, 60. I don't know exactly the date on this part, but humans left Africa. And we started spreading over Europe and Asia, and then about twelve thousand eight hundred years ago, during or you know before that, during the Ice Age, there was a land corridor across Asia into Alaska, and yeah. that people walked that, and that was the first peopling of the Americas. Yeah, and then the uh, the uh, Ice Age ended, and that land bridge was closed because the sea levels rose and the ice went away, um, and so that those people that were now in America were isolated. So that essentially the um, yes. the Native Americans all <clears throat> descended from essentially the people who were migrating out of uh, Asia. Right. Um, but the problem with that is we keep finding stuff that goes back before that 12,800 or yeah, before that ice age when the land bridge was closed again. Right. Um, but we still find – Artifacts. Artifacts. Yeah. Where they were supposedly the, had the just Diego came find here. It's estimated at like 200,000 years old here in America. Dude. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. I mean, just to think that like. And that the first. And we know there were seafaring cultures. Like now we're starting to understand like the, a lot yeah. of these older like maps and like. Right. Like all the Polynesian islands. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like these are people who traveled thousands of miles across the people. ocean. They were but the official to. story is that, you know, we went out of Africa, we started populating the earth, and then the first civilizations was uh, Sumeria, 
um, well, I guess now to Gobekli Tepe, except that's this. explained as like uh, the official story on Gobekli Tepe is that that was uh, uh, hunter gatherers making a religious site. Yeah, yeah, and that was the first time it of wasn't religion. actually it, civilization. It was just a first sign of religion. But yeah, so that's because Some it, kind of it ritual messes up their narrative because it's yeah. actually dated to so that's 12, how they're explaining it, but. If you look at the sophistication of the mm-hmm. burial of it, yeah, like because Gobekli Tepe, well, do you, I've do heard your research too. If you're listening the, to this, but Gobekli Tepe was new- a buried mound, is a mound of buried artifacts, right? A buried site that's uh, you know in a hill in, in Turkey. Turkey. It's in Turkey, and yeah. the word Gobekli Tepe in Turkish means pot-bellied hill. Pot-bellied hill, that's right. Oh. Um, and it's essentially what they believe to be a deliberately buried site that dates back 12,000 years, but it's giant stonework with uh, relief carving. So like, yeah, there's, so there's a difference between normal, like carving of pictures and what's called high relief is a normal carving. Like if you want to draw a dog, you etch into the stone, the places where yeah. the dog shape is not this, but a high relief is instead of etching in where the dog is, you etch in everywhere where the dog is not. And yeah. what you leave is a protrusion in the a shape three of the dimensional, dog, which is so much harder. A three dimensional image of it. So you have this super advanced carving back twelve thousand years ago, right at the the, the end of the younger Dryas. Younger Dryas, right? Right at the end. That means no, that's that the beginning of it. 12, well, yeah, no, eleven thousand six hundred. So it'd be right around the end. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the beginning of this supposed civilization. Like yeah, you're talking about, like you're going from like hunter gatherer. Is what the accepted mm-hmm. people were at the time, or right. hunter gatherers, and they're trying to now tell us that they think hunter gatherers are just were just a little bit more advanced than we thought they were, and they were able to do all these amazing things. But yeah. if you think about the division so of without labor, civilization, without with a, no division of labor, you have to have division of labor for that kind of thing, right? And also, Gobekli Tepe just demonstrates all of this knowledge of the stars. We need to do an right. episode just on Gobekli Tepe too. I think we could do that for sure. <clears throat> I mean, we could probably put that in with the younger drives, but anyway, yeah. Gobekli so, Tepe is fascinating. Just all of the artifacts that you find there. Exactly. Um, the other thing I wanted to get into, but we're actually running out of time, so maybe I'll, I'll maybe do a quick this, synopsis. But uh, the other issue with uh, science today is uh, this was a big hubbub about ten years ago or so, about a decade ago. Um, there's a really good video. I'll link it in the show notes by Veritasium, um, and it's this issue in science known as the replication price pro- crisis. Crisis, yeah, the replication crisis. Which essentially what happened is that uh, someone decided to do research on science itself and uh, they gathered a collection of scientific papers that were peer reviewed and published in prestigious journals, the most prestigious journals that were highly cited. So uh, the way it works, right, is like if you're doing a scientific, um, you're doing scientific research in a particular area, you're building on earlier knowledge. So you're going to cite the papers of that earlier knowledge in your paper. Yeah, and the more cited your paper more is, the more fundamental it is, or the more credible it becomes, the more citations The more based in, in previous. So they took yeah. highly cited, P 
peer-reviewed in prestigious journals and they took a sample of these papers and they actually went through and tried to duplicate the studies. Yeah. And I think it was like 60, 70% failed. Unreplicable. Unreplicable. So this led to this big old controversy in science and um, I want to spend some time on it, but essentially you, you should watch the video because he does a better job, Derek. Yeah, testing. we'll link it in the in the show notes for um, sure. People should watch it. But it essentially comes to a number of things with um, incentive issues. So science scientists, in order to have a successful career, um, it's not about doing boring science. Like boring science, like replication studies – and negative studies showing that something that was thought was true is not true. Those types of things don't get published. Right. And so what scientists end up doing is only publishing uh, positive results. Um, and there's another issue called P hacking where essentially yeah. you take the statistical analysis and there's lots of ways to do it, but you essentially are able to fudge the statistics in different ways in order to show a positive result where there wasn't one or shouldn't have been one. Yeah. Isn't that because of the threshold of, of positives <clears throat> of a positive result is well, so low or so high, I guess. It would be so so one way to get around it would be to have a higher threshold, but right. There could still be the issue with that because part of the issue, I guess, would be longevity. There's like multi-target studies, right? So, like one way that p hacking can work is 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 if maybe you're looking for something, but to be safe, you're actually going to look for like a dozen different things that would get you to. And even if like eleven out of the twelve things you were looking for showed no statistical significance, if one of them does, all of a sudden you shift the study to being about that. Right. But that's not what the study was set out to prove in the first place. It was just some sort of statistic fluke you found in it. So you can take any of the any of those markers and and call it proof for something that's completely unrelated otherwise. Yeah. And the other thing is like the sample size issue. Um Yeah. So a lot of studies don't have the funding to do real true statistical significant sample sizes and so what they'll do instead um <laughs> they'll they'll do small sample sizes or they'll cut off their data at the point where, where the data starts shifting in the wrong direction. Right, right where it goes to the point of st- statistical significance and then they stop. Yeah, yeah. So like for instance, uh, let's say I had the theory that when I roll dice, I can get more than one-sixth percentage of sixes to roll. Yeah. Because of my mind powers. Okay. Yeah. And so I do a study, right? And I start rolling and I start rolling. And, you know, the thing with like statistics and probabilities is like sometimes, like if you're, you're flipping a coin, you're going to get hot. You're going to yeah. have a lot more heads in a row. Yeah. Right. So maybe I'm doing my study on rolling dice and I happen to get a lot of sixes in a row. It didn't even have to be sixes. Let's say I did one of these simultaneous studies. And so I'm just tracking right. the statistics of each and I number. roll it. And I happened to be hot on one number in particular, and this and time it like, was a that's six. The number I was and really before about. I keep rolling to get way more yeah. sample size, I cut off the study and I say, "Boom, we our study's concluded." I run the analysis, and I just happened to capture right. the one point where I had a hot streak, and, and it so could it be shows a quote point, unquote right? statistical significance, even though it was a hacked study. Yeah. And anyway, so they kept doing research on this and they're essentially estimating that some 70% 
of scientific papers are unduplicable. Yeah. The replication crisis is uh, definitely, but, but like, um, like I've heard too on other podcasts is like, there's a lot of scientists waking up to it and there's a lot of hope. That yeah. There, and there's been change. a lot of work towards that in the last <clears throat> two. Like people are understanding this that this is a problem. Research came out. But it just goes is to there, show. Is there a, 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 now there's just an established, this is right. And we have to do it this way continuously. Or can we change the fundamental workings of like, um, published studies like that, that being the thing that gets you, um, credibility in your theories. Right. I mean, in my mind, we need more decentralized, um, publishing outlets. I mean, I don't know. Government control. I mean, we're in the the freaking internet age. Why is everything still like controlled by publishers? There should just be decentralized blockchain based, uh, uh, peer review. Well, it, so here's the thing: just decentralized blockchain-based uh, science paper Publishing. posting. Yeah. Right. So you post it. Right. No one's reviewed it yet, but over time, the fact that you post it and someone else Anybody sees can it, review. they can go review it, take a look on it, post a review. Yep. And that's how you get your peer review by actual peers. And then people interested. can take that paper and do that, and then rather than can, some like yeah. political process of like this like blind peer review where you don't know what qualifications they're actually going to allow or not allow your paper based on. It's a lot of, yeah, that seems there's a lot of weird formalities in science that mm-hmm. aren't essential to the scientific process itself. What is science? Like at its core is science, the universities is science, the, the research uh, publications is science, like the Nobel prize. No, not, those are just formalities built up around science. What science is, is the scientific method, Yeah, which is about comes back to that. For just sure. a process of finding knowledge. Yeah. Everything else is like dressing built up on around it. It's a religion. We associate it's a with religion built around science. Right. It's all the rituals that you mm-hmm. would expect from humans to create. And it's, it's, it's almost any institution to give it enough time. Right. And you know, the funding is an issue too. Yeah. Government funding funding is some of the, some of the company funding is pretty shady in certain areas. Like, well, cause a lot of that can be privatized. Like you can't, you, they do these studies and get the knowledge and then they patent it and then they put it on a shelf and they lock it. It's like all the health funding done by the tobacco companies on cigarettes. Right. Yeah. Like that's an obvious conflict of interest. Yeah. But like, let's say all of science instead of government being the main channel that funds money into science. Like what if it was Walmart? Would you, how much would you expect expect an uptick or downtick in the amount of studies that find uh, faulty Walmart practices or products? (laughs) You'd expect a downtick. Yeah. Okay. What if science was overly funded by the Catholic church? Would you find, would you expect an uptick or a downtick in things that, that contradict the Bible. That's why you need to leave it in. You need to leave it funded by the public and it needs to be funded by a population that is well aware of what's going on in science, what the actual. It just needs to not be any one particular person in control. And the government isn't a person. Yeah. And obviously this is like conspiratorial thinking and we can get into all that later, but (laughs) yeah, we're going to get into it. There are, there 
there is a whole different set of biases that come along with government funding the same way you would have them with Catholic church funding or Walmart funding science. The fact that it's the government doesn't mean that it's unbiased. Yeah, of course there are going to be biases. It depends on the government. Right. (laughs) Anyway, um, there was another, uh, podcast I wanted to cover that talks about, uh, our present dark age, this guy, Steve Patterson, I'll link it in the show. notes. I think you guys should check it out. Definitely watch that one. And maybe even watch the brothers of the serpent podcast with, uh, Jeremy Figgins. Yeah. Maybe even we'll link that one. Yeah. This was one of their listeners that wrote in and they ended up uh, interviewing him and he went through this whole like, um, process of becoming an academic. Yeah. He's got a, he talks a lot lot about the process of like, people censoring his research. Yeah. I mean, he's got a lot of anecdotes about being in the, in the, um, collegiate world and what that's like going through and like writing papers and talking to professors and like, I'm sure a lot of you will have as well, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, it's fascinating to hear. So we'll link that one too. And all of this is not said to like make you guys think science is BS. Like science is our best tool at figuring out how the world around us works. Well, at least it's the best tool of figuring out how everything works materially. Um, Yeah. And as far as spirituality goes, like that's all uh, self discovery and we'll, we'll get into a lot of that type of stuff too. Yeah. We'll talk about, you know, all of the disembodiment stuff and any type of spiritual thing that you might think of. Yeah. So it's been fun. I think we had a successful first episode. I hope all you guys enjoyed. Hey, if you have any thoughts on the show, please write in hosts at dualitycheck.net. Um, we're also launching our Facebook and Instagram and none of us, neither of us are like huge social media guys. So we'll do our Uh, best on that. But, the email might well. It's probably going to be the best way to get a hold of us for a little while. Yeah, but we'll be posting as far as like when we'll be doing episodes and all that kind of stuff coming up. So keep an eye out. Look for our logo. It's pretty. It's pretty pretty. Yeah, we love it. Have some fun. Check it out. Looking at all the details in it. There's a lot yeah. of like little Easter keep eggs. Keep looking. Yeah, and uh, keep looking out at uh, the, the world around you and learning and have fun experiencing. Uh, this crazy world we live in yeah come back uh next time for some more questions to be added to we'll just add questions to your questions yeah because we sure (laughs) as heck don't have any answers no adios later